Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I thought it might be interesting to talk to you about remote workforces and the challenges from a leadership point of view of working with an organisation where many of your people are either home-based or based out in the field? Yeah, so we've got about 100 people working for us now directly employed at Corndell. Mm. And probably in our office at any one time, we've got eight or nine. So, you know, 90%, 91% of our workforce is, is remote, is mainly working from home or working from our customers' premises. Uh, and that definitely creates, I think, a, a different set of challenges to having everyone in an office. One thing I think which is really, people don't really realise is how important informal communication is actually to knowing what's going on you know you've got the very formal communication channels through emails or through meetings but yeah. actually we learn most about our colleagues we learn most about what the organization is doing simply from overhearing things or being you know sat at the kettle waiting for it to, to boil and if you don't have those very natural because you, you you're in the same space you need to try and create opportunities for those informal conversations and I think you need to invest a lot more in communication and in team building than than you would if you could do it more naturally by having people co-located. And so from a challenge point of view what sort of things have you come across in terms of that? Yeah well I think keeping people motivated keeping people feeling that they're part of a team Mm-hmm. keeping people understanding what the organisation's all about. Those are kind of some of the, 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 the critical challenges that we face. Knowledge management, I think, you know, in, a, in a both an informal and an informal sense. How do we get everybody knowing what everybody else knows? How do we make sure we're not constantly reinventing the wheel? Mm. Yeah, as you know, we, we deliver a lot of, of workshops across a range of leadership and management topics. And of course, we need to bespoke and create those workshops for each employer that we work with. But there's such a massive amount of knowledge within the organisation. How do we make sure we're sharing that properly? So some very um, you know, simple things around, if everybody in the organisation knew what everybody else knows, we would be so powerful. And it, it's getting that in information out and, and that's harder with a remote workforce I think that's I think that's harder you can't just glance over someone's shoulder you can't shout across the the office you can't just meet them at the water cooler you know it just is more difficult and so we you know we, we try a range of techniques to try and, and deal with that so as you know we've got our whatsapp groups we've got microsoft teams we've got the, the morning calls we bring everyone together once a month because we think bringing everyone together physically is really really important and and we try and create those communication channels remotely you know we, we see some teams better at this than others but for example the sales team have a rule that if they're skyping they must video skype so again this notion that they they, they, they enforce we are going to look at one another we're going to try and break down the barriers as much as we can and i think there's some real there's some real power in doing that there's some discipline to make it happen and you have to get past the sort of forced uncomfortableness but once you do actually technology is creating some really powerful tools for us to do remote working better yeah and thinking about people's experience of working remotely before they take up a role is remote. Have you seen differences in the way that people approach remote working in terms of shared or past experience? Yeah, it's one of the one of the questions we ask at pre-interview. So we do video interviews before we do face-to-face interviews for all yeah. our staff. And one of the questions we ask is, what is your ideal working environment? Mm. Because if people have worked from home, they understand what it's like. 
But if they if they haven't, and particularly the sort of people we employ, because the sort of people we employ are uh, you know incredibly friendly, they're social creatures. There, you need to be. You couldn't be a member of the the Corndale team. You couldn't be a trainer. You couldn't be a coach if you weren't interested in in people. So actually, it can be quite lonely. It can be quite remote. Some of that homeworking. So really you know helping people to understand what that will be like if they haven't done it before and one of the things we do with with a lot of people we take on is we ask them to go and shadow some mm-hmm. of our existing staff before taking the job so they can be absolutely sure that this is right for them as much as we need to be sure that uh, that they're right for for us mm-hmm. but no we you definitely see some differences i, I mean i remember when um, before I, I started as chief executive at, at Corndell I did a couple of years of of working from home and doing sort of consultancy on on various projects and after two years I'd had enough of it it seems quite idyllic I can get up when I want I can you know sit around on my sofa and not have to get dressed I can write what I want to do but actually it can become um, I I personally found it that after that amount of time I was definitely ready to go back into an office and see people (laughs) and talk to people there's a perception, isn't there, that your work-life balance might be improved if you have less of a commute and you have, you know, the opportunity to, you know, manage your own time and be more flexible in terms of um, those hours. Perhaps there's a, there's a downside to that as well in that work sort of bleeds into life sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think the notion of physical separation could be quite important. One of the things we talk about with our staff is having a separate space for working and a separate space for, for living. So... Mm. I live in a one-bed flat, so it's not actually possible for me <laughs> to have a separate working space when I was working from home. But some of the things I'd do, I'd go to a cafe. I'd go to the British Museum and yeah. sit there and work. So that, that notion of trying to separate out the, the workspace from the, the, the kind of home space, because I agree with you, Claire, I think that's, that is incredibly important to have some of that separation so you don't constantly feel you're working. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on this in a number of areas, but um, particularly with you know, technology brings us together, yeah. but technology can also be a slave master to us. You know, we're still responding to emails at 11 o'clock at night, at six yeah. o'clock in the morning, then, then actually we need to make sure that people are home working, that there is a proper separation and that we are getting that work-life balance right particularly again as you you know we work people very very hard at Corndale so people do work long hours mm. the majority of our staff are part-time the vast majority of our staff are, are home working mm. but that doesn't mean that people don't work incredibly long hours and incredibly hard at the time they're working for us so creating that creating that separation giving people that time saying it's okay to turn off it's okay not to respond to this email on your off days it's okay not to pick up the phone Mm. all of those things are are really important to us culturally and I suppose it's also different for each individual that's part of that sort of remote working community anyway isn't it in terms of what they want as individuals I'm thinking about its impact on culture now because we've talked about the impact on the individuals and, and how they need to achieve that balance but how then as CEO do you build a culture and really maintain that growth when many of your people are working individually and remotely yeah look I I think that's a great question and again I don't think there are magic bullet answers and I'm certainly not going to pretend that we've got this nailed and you know kind of we are exemplars in this I think we're feeling our way through and and learning and hopefully getting better but there's Mm. a a, you know still some considerable way to go one thing I'm still enormously proud of is that I interview every single person who comes into the organization and I'm going to carry on doing that for as long as I possibly can because that makes sure that as, as part of that 
starting people into the organization that we can be absolutely sure that they have the same sort of beliefs that the organization does that they share our relentless focus on delighting customers delighting learners progressing learners and and being compliant with regulatory agencies who who monitor us so 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 right from the right from the start of bringing people on and that is a face-to-face eventually gets to a a face-to-face interview and so so I still do that and that's really really important to me in terms of starting with the right culture then at induction again we bring people face to face for induction we talk through the ideas that shaped and shape Cornell and again we have that session where we sit down with people and say this is who we are this is what we do this is why we do it and this is why it's important to us I think then there's repeating those messages we are constantly reinforcing those messages I I know a lot of my staff get bored of me (laughs) kind of repeating over and over again the core things about what we do but that's really really important to us so I think those are some of the ways that we maintain the culture and then uh, I think you need a, a zero tolerance policy for things which step outside of that culture and I think that's really really important too so I, I know I can sometimes be seen sometimes as a leader as as being very direct but I, I I'm deliberately very direct on some things because I think it's really really important for our communication to not be misunderstood or, or to, to be very clear on the things that are important to us. And so if you were, I guess, thinking about your top advice to somebody joining an organisation like Cornell where they were going to be working remotely or managing a remote team, what would you say to them and say the, most, the three most important things that they need to do as a leader of that team? The three most important things that, wow, <laughs> you put me on the spot here. <laughs> Look, communication is is critical and particularly as we get bigger as a team and you know when we started Corndale there were five of us sat in a little room and it's really easy to share the vision it's really easy to share the culture it's really easy to do change management because mm. when something changes we're, we're a business like all businesses where change is constant and and very very quick and we need to be very agile we need to react very quickly Changing things, as I say, when there were five people co-located in a room Mm. is massively easier than when there are 100 people and 90 of them are home working. And so the need to communicate what's happening, why it's happening, the need to do that over and over again, not assuming anything. I think it's really easy as a leader to assume people know why you've done something or Mm. assume that people know you actually better than they they might do mm. so, so so look one I'd say is is communication I think is 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 absolutely critical two I, I mean I would say technology is a great way and it's something which really can bring people together it's not an answer in and of itself but as a tool for allowing things like communication and and, and sharing ideas and, and knowledge share then I think it's really important and I think you know simple things like video conferencing are, are really powerful it's a way of bringing people together I worked for a company in Australia for a a couple of months and I was really taken by how cleverly they used video conferencing to bring people together who were thousands of miles away so I think that technology is is really important as well and then this might be a cop-out but I would go to the third piece which is don't just do remote Uh, you know it doesn't matter if someone's in a different country it's still worth flying them over face to face because I don't think you can ever really lose lose that so you, you know remote is more efficient remote can be a better way of working remote can be better for your staff better for the company better for customers but there's always going to be a place for face to face and that shouldn't be uh, that should be part of the the mix yeah I guess that that changes and develops over time as well doesn't it so once you have 
built that relationship in the early stages of either employment or customer delivery, then the remoteness can extend, can't it? Absolutely. Uh, We're big fans of that blended approach. So I think for rapport building, nothing quite beats face to face. So I mean, if you looked at how we work with our students, we start our students face to face activity. So typically a workshop where they'll meet their professional development experts. And then we move to a remote model with again, some face to face interspersed, but you don't start with the online, you start face to face, and then you move to the online and move to the move to the remote. And I think that's, that's much more powerful. Just thinking about how your organisation might change moving forwards but also actually thinking more about how remote workforce might look in the future do you have some insight or ideas about how that's going to move forwards oh look I'm I'm always slightly skeptical about reading the tea leaves and trying to predict the future that said I think the technological advances will support more and more remote working it seems crazy that people are commuting for such long time long distances I think I think that culture is changing it's changing slowly and there's still this if you're not in an office between nine and five Monday to Friday Mm. then you're not doing a proper job but I think that's changing I think people are saying that's complete nonsense actually Mm. I mean certainly if you look at the the vast majority of my workforce is part-time so 80 85 percent of people are working three or four days a week rather Mm. than a, a five-day week as I say the vast majority of the workforce are are remote I would see more and more companies doing that I think you you mentioned work-life balance earlier I think this this crazy notion that as we become richer and richer as a country in the you know in 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 the west Uh, you know Keynes said was it 50 60 years ago we'd 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 stop working five day weeks we wouldn't need to we'd Mm. be working one or two days a a week and and actually he wasn't wrong on that we don't need to work five days a week actually lots of people are still choosing to work five days a week rather than choosing to earn a lot less money still have a very nice quality of life but work one or two days a week and I see that I definitely see that changing that might change I think a little bit with younger people who are maybe more used to that and talk about the millennials and I'm by no means uh, an expert but be much more flexible have being much more used to changing jobs much more used to chopping and changing taking time out to go traveling or whatever else it might be mm. I think so I think potentially we're going to have a, a different generation with different attitudes to work and what it means to work and and the relationship between work and and leisure and potentially choosing to earn a bit less and have a bit more leisure time which I mm. think is again is a, is a personal choice that people are not being able to make because we're still stuck in some quite old-fashioned ways of of working and and, and thinking. Something else that I've been thinking about is the impact of remote working on different sort of personality types. So I'm thinking about the sort of classic extrovert, introvert Mm -hmm. type environment. And sort of celebrating success is interesting, isn't it, When, when people are working remotely. And it strikes me that there will be some individuals who are more likely to say, look at me, I did this thing and others who will sit and quietly work away and achieve brilliance but not necessarily say very much about it. Do you have some ideas and thoughts to share on how to draw people out who are less naturally extroverted when they're working remotely? I think it's a great question, Claire. And again, I'm I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be a, a sort of world expert on this. I think, again, it's something which I and my business is, is struggling with, like my most businesses are, are struggling with I think some very practical things so one is just that notion of making sure that you really are 
checking in with everybody. So I, I think that's exactly right. There'll always be a dozen people who are a half dozen people, whatever it might be, who are quite vocal, who, you know, very quick to put their hands up, very quick to tell you what's going well, what's not going so well. And that's great. But I think, you know, leaders and managers need to make sure that they're getting the opinion of everyone, not just the, the noisiest. And, and I think that's about, again, that's about taking time about taking time to communicate, about taking time to talk to everybody. And again, depending on the scale of business, look, if you've got 700,000 staff, you can't, and you're the CEO, you can't talk to all 700,000 staff, Mm -hmm. but you need to have mechanisms all the way through the machine to make sure that somebody is talking through and that those messages are getting back to you. I talk about this a lot. I don't think managers and leaders take bad decisions because they're mostly stupid. Mm. I think managers and leaders take bad decisions because they are not getting the right information and that's a combination of people either being afraid to tell them stuff or or actively not telling them stuff or just the the signal getting lost somewhere in the communication up the up the line as someone tells their manager tells their manager tells their manager and without knowing what's going on you can't possibly take good good decisions so look i think for reward and recognition you've got to be touching the whole workforce you've got to be picking up the phone you've got to be video conferencing you've got to be talking to people you've got to asking them about their personal experiences you've got to be talking to them about you know what motivates you what makes you happy what went well this week what didn't go well this week Uh, and and again it might be I don't think management and leadership is necessarily complicated but it is difficult and it's the stuff when you're really busy and when you're running at a million miles an hour actually praise a member of staff just having it written down for me on the front, so it's on a page, so I just see it kind of every day. So I praise a member of staff is there. For someone like me, who is not very natural at some of this sort of stuff, then writing it down and processizing it and remembering that is important. That is not a nice to have. It can sometimes be, you know, management kind of right. Well, writing the strategic plan, preparing the budget, preparing the board papers, those are all essentials. Oh, actually sitting down with a member of staff and asking them how things have gone this week, you know, what's troubling them, what's, you know, kind of good, what's bad, what they need to do. That's not in any sense less important. In fact, in many ways, it's probably more important. But yeah, so we'll go back to our, our management theory. If you looked at the COVID matrix, everything else seems more urgent. But actually, those things are incredibly important and you have to make space and you have to make time to do them. And that, that means carving out time in the diary and putting it in and saying, I'm doing this because it's important. Mm. And, and it's then it, it's for me, at least, because I say I'm not I'm sure people have kind of you know, politicians who are kind of incredibly natural at this at making people just feel amazing. And, you know, I think if you if, if, if you're less natural at it, then you, you need to be disciplined at it. And, and disciplined discipline doesn't mean fake. I think it'd be easy to see that then as, you know, <laughs> I, I remember a, 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 about a very senior manager at an, an organisation I used to work and he definitely wasn't the most natural with people, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So he knew every now and again that he was supposed to praise someone or supposed to ask people how things were going, but it definitely wasn't natural to him. So he had to force himself to, to do it. So one day, one of my bid writers, she was in early. It was about 7.30 in the morning in the office because we had a, a, a bid that needed to, to go in. And this very, very senior manager, so sort of her manager's 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 manager, was also in early. He would bicycled in and he was in, the, he was in the shower, actually, and he'd come out the shower going back to his office, apparently just wearing this little towel. And so he, he walked past the bid writer and saw that she was in early. And then something clearly clicked in his head. 
he decided, oh, I'm supposed to praise members of staff and have a conversation with them. So apparently he walked over and had a very, very awkward 15-minute conversation about how grateful he was that she had come in early just wearing his... <laughs> towel and then wandered off so these things can go wrong if you're not very something kind I'm of, never doing that I'm nev- again no yeah exactly never, I'm, never, ever. I'm never ever coming in early again so these things can backfire again it comes to the emotional <laughs> intelligence <laughs> and comes to the <laughs> that's so funny I do think that though there is something there about how we remember the things that are easy for us to remember because we would like them ourselves as leaders and managers so if you're someone who thrives on feedback you'll remember to give feedback because you would like it yourself if you don't need it you, you feel that like you don't I think everybody does but if you feel like you don't you probably don't do that as naturally because you don't need it yourself I, I think that's a I think that's an incredibly perceptive point Claire I think that's I think that's exactly right we're all doomed to see the world how we see it mm. and that kind of emotional imagination, that moral imagination to try and see the world from others' perspectives and other people's eyes, I think is a critical part of, of management and, and mm. leadership. And again, really easy to, to miss out on if you're too task focused yeah so thinking about some of the points that you've made there's some real advice there around communication being fundamental doing that really regularly and consistently also being important and touching everyone getting out there getting feedback not assuming that you know what's going on in your organization so that's been really useful insight in terms of remote workers so thank you um, for sharing that with us and you know Good luck with your remote workforce. Thank you, Claire. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.